A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Almost 12 million people live in the U.S. illegally. We search for nuance in a topic where opinion dominates facts. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So we're going to try a new thing when we start each show. We want to give a little shout out to some other podcast players. One we met at Podcast Movement is called Auto Radio. It's a really cool app that curates your podcast with the push of a button and has all kinds of cool features where you can say whether you want more news flashes, more in-depth coverage, and how long your commute is, and they'll sort of curate podcasts to fit that length of time so that you're not like hanging out in your driveway waiting for the podcast to finish. So check it out, Auto Radio in the App Store. And while you're there, feel free to leave a review for Pantsy Politics. So we thought we would start out the pearls today talking about the very weird G20 that just wrapped up. Well, we had China and U.S. uh, agree to many of the global climate agreements contained in the the Paris Agreement. I don't know if that's the word. And apparently this was only after um, some really awkward fighting slash jockeying on the airport runway did you see this Beth? it's been a it's just been a strange week yes they got the stairs wrong apparently i mean seriously so president obama couldn't make his like normal grand entrance he had to come out of the underside of the plane because 
instead of using the stairs that I guess the United States shipped specifically over for Air Force One, Chinese security officials replaced them with their own stairs. And there was something about whether the person bringing the stairs over could speak English or not. It has just sounded like a real cluster. Well, I can tell you it was probably so insanely stressful for the poor staffers in charge of whatever part of the issue that was. But there were um, some very important agreements. I think this is um, a big part of Barack Obama's legacy with regards to climate change and um, taking a big step forward on that issue. You know, any kind of agreement with China and the U.S., on anything, I think we can call a big deal. But um, agreeing to the terms from the the Paris Accord is a pretty big deal. So it's a good, good job, thing. everybody. It's a good thing that one thing got checked off because of the rest of the G twenty seemed to be about as much of a mess as those stairs. So did you hmm. see Sarah that the president of the Philippines called President Obama an sob? And that's not appropriate. The Obama administration canceled their private meeting that was scheduled with him. I think that's appropriate. And then, I mean, it's, you know, it's like I deal with my kids. There's has to be consequences for inappropriate behavior. Bad choices, President of the Philippines. Bad choices. More bad choices. North Korea is just filing, firing missiles off at Japan at the time that the G20 is happening. And the TPP seems to be going nowhere. And... President Obama basically announced that he and Vladimir Putin have trust issues so they can't get anything done on Syria. I mean, it's just been such a strange few days in the news and it do, it's not very encouraging. And you have to wonder if President Obama is looking at all this and thinking, um, how are these two people who are busy trying to kill each other running for president going to handle all of this? Yeah, seriously. Well, and we also had some big news coming out of Brazil and it's not the Olympics. That's right. Dilma Rousseff, I think I'm saying that correctly, was ousted as Brazil's first female president. This has been going on for a long time, the impeachment hearings. She has been accused of using state funds on an agriculture program without congressional approval. She completely denies the accusation, says that all of these charges are unfounded, and has really referred to the proceedings as a coup. Many observers think that she is just paying the political price for a terrible economy. Brazil is in its worst recession in decades right now, and the economy was booming in Brazil when she came into office. So there are, there are people who definitely think that she has mismanaged the government, but varying degrees as to the level of that mismanagement. Rachel asked us on Twitter what this really means. And Rachel, I wish I had a better answer for you than I'm not sure. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the vice president who will now be taking over as president is far more conservative uh, than President Rousseff was and is likely to try to introduce some austerity measures and, you know, try to get the economy back on track in Brazil. This feels a little bit like some of what we've observed playing out in Europe. It also doesn't feel that far from home, considering the fact that we have a a female, a, a likely first female president who we can anticipate Congress going after in a number of different ways as soon as she's in office. So I think it's something to watch very closely because I feel like it will be instructive in a lot of ways. But what exactly it means for Brazil or the world economy, I don't know right now. Yeah, I don't either. And um, 
I think that it's the it's not as you know black and white as leaders of the opposition were painting it to be, but I also don't think it seems like she is completely innocent either, obviously. And they pretty well immediately uh, passed legislation that would allow the president more discretion in spending state money. Um, you know, in the midst of this impeachment, they they've given the president more authority to spend money. So it's not like this was a um, thing that everyone is universally opposed to. There's just an accusation that she did it in violation of law existing at the time. So do you want to take a moment and compliment the other side, Beth? Oh, always I do. And since we're talking about immigration today, I wanted to compliment the four Democratic senators who participated in the Gang of Eight. So you might remember, uh, if, if you are listening, that the Gang of Eight got together in 2013 to try to write a comprehensive immigration reform bill. And they were successful. They brought that bill to the Senate floor and it passed, but the House of Representatives would not take it up. So I thought that was good work. And as I look at the list of people involved from both parties, these are people who I would imagine could get things done. So hats off to Senator Michael Bennett, a Democrat from Colorado, Dick Durbin, Democrat of Illinois, Bob Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey, and Chuck Schumer. And my former boss. And Sarah's former boss. And Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York. So good, good job, Gang of Eight Senators. So... <clears throat> I don't know if this is complimenting the other side, but I would just like to um, send my condolences to Phyllis Shafley's family, who she recently passed away at the age of 92. Um, Phyllis Shafley is easy to demonize, but she was also the mother of, I believe, six children and a woman who felt very deeply about her beliefs, of which are many which are antithetical to me, but that doesn't change the fact that she was a human being, and I'm sure her family misses her very much. So rest in peace, Phyllis Shafley. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. 
therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. So as I was doing research from our primer, I really got a sense of how relatively young the United States is as a country, because immigration law doesn't go back very far. I mean, it was the late 19th century before we started doing anything on immigration law, because before then we we needed immigrants, we needed workers. Um, so our immigration law really began with acts that excluded whole categories of people from the country because we thought that they were in one way or another undesirable. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, we became more inclusive in the late 1960s, and at that point, our interest sort of turned to managing the numbers of immigrants coming in and the numbers from certain countries and then the types of reasons people were coming in. Uh, George H.W. Bush really expanded legal immigration significantly. So if you think of the Republican Party as anti-immigration, that is a very new sentiment and I think not representative of the entire party. September 11th really derailed uh, George W. Bush's attempts to work on an accord with Mexico. At that point, our attitudes about immigration shifted substantially. The system is hugely complex, 185 different types of visas. That is a number that I did not know prior to doing my research, and I found it to be pretty surprising. And the other thing I would say is just there, I I did the research on how immigration impacts crime and the economy, and the short version is immigration seems to actually lower crime and help the economy. And it made me sit back to wonder exactly what we're all worked up about here. I mean, that's a vast oversimplification, but that's sort of the lightning round on what I cover in the primer. Can I vastly oversimplify what I think we're all scared of? Sure. Or what we're all fighting over? Uh, Racism? That's what I think we're fighting over. That's not very nuanced. Well, I think that you see throughout the legislation on immigration moments of interest in and concern about sort of the national makeup. 
and how mm-hmm. much shifting can we handle in the national makeup at one time. And I was reading about the boomlet generation, so the generation after millennials, and how the most common last name is no longer Smith, it's Rodriguez. And I think that we have had a massive population shift, um, but I'm also just feeling like you can look at the sky and wish it were purple, but it's not, it's blue. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is where we are. And I'm, when you look at all of the numbers, I mean, immigration is good for the economy. So it's just really hard for me to understand other, uh, you know, I think it's an oversimplification to say it's racism. I think it's nicer maybe to say it's concern about cultural stability and cultural makeup. But overall, I really think we ought to be finding a way to facilitate the immigration that's already happening and capitalize on all the benefits of it. So I will say that um, when Beth suggested this topic, I said, I'm not going to, I mean, I don't know what how great of a um, discussion participant I will be because I just, my beliefs on immigration are, you know, pretty basic. I think exactly what Beth said. It's great for the economy. What really struck me from your primer was the idea that like during the depression is when it dropped. And that's what I always tell people. If, you know, if people don't want to immigrate here, something is very wrong. Something has gone wrong and we are in deep trouble. You should all sleep easily, easier at night thinking, oh, people want to come here because we have something to offer. Isn't that fantastic? (laughs) You know, I remember that, remember, um, fast food nation guy Morgan Spurlock he had this really great show called 30 days where it was like sort of perpetuating the same 30-day experiments he did in fast food not fast food nation supersize me excuse me and there was one on immigration and the guy who was doing the 30-day experiment was the son of Cuban immigrants and he felt so strongly that other people should follow the rules that his parents followed and come here legally and you know no amount of talking about that, like, and I looked this up and I totally forgot. Oh, no, it was, it was the wait for Mexican, particularly immigrants because of these quotas. Um, I think they're just now getting to people who filed in 1997. So that's how long you would wait to come here legally. 20 plus years. Maybe, maybe it would, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Maybe that would be longer than that. And, you know, he didn't care. And finally, what they did was they took this man to one of, to the town, basically, that the immigrants he was staying with, illegal immigrants he stayed with, or undocumented workers, as I prefer to call them. Um, And when he went to the town, he was finally like, oh my God, you're right. I would, I would do, I would break every law to get my children out of here. I would do whatever it takes. Um, And he finally sort of, you know, got it. And so I just... I really struggle with it. It's good for us. People are trying to make better lives for their families, which is why every single one of us is here, unless we're Native American. So I just struggle with finding any sort of sympathy for opposing arguments on immigrants as far as a sort of culture. What culture? I mean, the culture in my hometown is 10 times a different, 10 kinds of different than it is in Manhattan, than it is in Los Angeles, than it is in Southern California, Utah. I mean, we have... We have a melting pot of culture in this country. And if it shifts imperceptibly in different areas or perceptibly, I mean, I just, I'm sorry. I just don't have a lot of sympathy for it. Well, I wanted to talk about this because I'm really tired of watching um, 
analysts do mental gymnastics to make some sense of Donald Trump's immigration policy. And I'm tired of talking about a wall as though that's a serious policy proposal. I do think it is an issue that we have 12 million people here who are undocumented. I think we need to really step back, though, and ask what we're trying to accomplish and why that bothers us. I think that Donald Trump has seized on people's concerns about the economy in a way that is well-founded but disconnected from what we're talking about. Those concerns about the economy are legitimate. Those concerns about jobs leaving the United States are legitimate. Concerns about people not having the training to do the jobs that are available in the United States, that's all legitimate. That seems to me to have almost nothing to do with immigration and even less to do with undocumented workers in the United States because those workers aren't taking the jobs that people thought were available in factories that you know that the trade is a is ha, you know trade is the issue with that right we can have a conversation about trade now i don't think donald trump's approach to trade is productive either but that is at least tied to what he's talking about i don't see in actual fact and study any tie to immigration. So then you get back to, well, like, is this just about national identity? And that seems to be at the heart of a lot of it, too. Now, I welcome a number of influences, as you do, Sarah, on our national identity. I think that's what makes America. I was saying to my husband, as I thought about this issue, I don't personally feel any kind of entitlement to America that differs from any other human. I feel a greater sense of responsibility to America because I live here and I receive the benefits of being an American, but I don't feel a claim to it. That's why I think this idea of birthright citizenship should not be touched because I I don't think any of us earn being Americans, right? We're born here or we aren't. And, and so I, I, I struggle to follow the logic around the national identity side of things. You talked about wanting to refer to people as undocumented versus illegal, and that's what Gary Johnson says as well, because it's less inflammatory. I think that's a good starting place for this discussion. Like, people are undocumented in that they did not go through the arduous application process, pay all the fees, go through the interviews, wait for a a number of years to get in. That is illegal, yes, but we talk about it as though it's illegal like committing armed robbery yeah when we call illegal aliens come on when it's more human beings it's more illegal like driving a car without insurance yeah you know there are degrees and and laws are worth their enforcement mechanisms and we're not good at enforcing these laws right now and so i think we that's where we have to step back when we talk about amnesty which has become a, a bad word i mean i think what we mean is just Do we or do we not value citizenship and legal status in the United States enough to figure out how to give people a process to make up for not going through that bureaucratic nightmare in the first place? Well, and I just think that, you know, I didn't know about this, the national quotas and those, the wait lists and all these issues until I took, did you take immigration law in law school? I didn't. I did. And it was sort of mind blowing. I don't think people understand that truthfully. And I think if they did, most people would be like, why are we doing it that way? You know, like, I don't, 
I think that if most people, if if you said we have this problem and they'd say, okay, well, let's help these people get here legally, not by putting, if you're from a certain country, in line for 20 years. Because I just think that's a very difficult argument to make without leaning on some form of nationalism, you know, ethnic stereotypes, or truly racism. I mean, why do we care where people are coming from? If it's not, if we're not trying to quote unquote protect our national identity, which I don't buy, because like I said, we are the only thing, this, the only thing that defines America is our diversity. I'm sorry. You know, I did my ancestry research several years ago. And if we're defining it by who's been here the longest, nobody's more American than me. I had, re, you know, um, ancestors that fought in the American Revolution. I have their pension records. I mean, I am a ninth generation Kentuckian. Okay, so that's how long they've just been in Kentucky. And I didn't leave that leave that research and look at my family history that stretched for hundreds of years in the United States thinking that I define what it means to be an American. I don't. I don't feel that way. The, you know, what I love about America is that I'm just as American as the person who got here two months ago. And so to me, you know, if we, you know, if you feel that way, that's fine. But if we're really not going to base any of our, our sort of legal groundwork on that, I don't understand why we have the national quotas. So I think it is an interesting question to ask whether we want to control how many people come into the United States in a year or not. I think there are probably reasons that we want to do that to some extent, just purely environmental and infrastructure reasons. Yeah. So I don't really have a problem with establishing some some limitations on how many people come in. I do think that we ought to eliminate the system of tracking the reasons that people come in. I mean, I I really think it ought to be as simple as, is this person um, a threat to public safety or not? Hmm. And if not, then I think that we go ahead, you know, given, given where the quotas are. I would almost lean more towards sort of, because... Really, I mean, we have computers, we have technology that should be, that we should be able to control like, okay, well, you know, if we need, if we need a free flow of people in the service industry coming into Manhattan who plan to stay in Manhattan and work in jobs there because we're desperate for people. I mean, there are jobs that truly undocumented workers or, you know, immigrants are the only ones, people that are willing to do. I mean, we all saw the story from Georgia where they tried to get the prisoners to do the work and the prisoners were like, heck no. And they refused to do it. And they had to have migrant workers coming and do it. So, you know, I think that there's got to be a way in which the quotas are defined by the need in certain... So if you're coming here to work and there's not a need for, you know, this, this, and this, but there is a huge need for technology workers or service workers or childcare workers or whatever it is, then... You know, we should be able to open those gates a little wider. If you want to come for something we don't have a need for, or depending on where you're going, we don't have a need for. I mean, it just seems like that's that's how we should be opening and closing the gates. Well, I'll tell you that a number of conservative thinkers have proposed that the private sector really work with the government to establish those quota numbers so that the needs Mm. are driving the numbers. What bothers me about that is sorting people by their profession and then having people lie, you know, people coming over with 
PhDs saying that they're coming here to take service jobs. Now, if that if that's their choice, then fine. But I hate I hate the idea of something that reduces people to their occupations and limits their potential that way. That seems really un-American to me. Well, I think the PhD issue is not that they. I think something else that needs to be addressed with regards to PhD is not that we would never not need people with PhDs is that the licensing and the education requirements. I mean, it seems like in a lot of areas where, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) we're desperate for people of higher education that there might be a need for um, clarity or sort of international agreements on what it means to be a licensed nurse or PhD or, you know, whatever it is. I think that's sort of the struggle and plus, you know, as an American, I think that you're onto something in that I don't, if you're, if you're coming here to work or if you're coming here just to escape a terrible situation, I, I'm still fine with that. I mean, I don't think that we are anywhere near welcoming enough. And I think historically we have been desperately on the wrong side of things because we're not welcoming enough to people who live in places of conflict and violence. So I agree with that. I mean, I think that there ought to be some kind of quota for how many people come into the country, but I would take out a lot of the bureaucracy in the why and how they're coming on the visa front. I think it's a separate issue. The other thing I want to say about that before I move on to the separate issue is that I think reducing people to their occupation continues to fuel this narrative of Americans competing with immigrants for jobs in a way that's unproductive. So that's kind of my issue with that side of the house. And then on the humanitarian side, we currently have an annual process by which the president and Congress determine how many refugees will allow into the country every year, and then they allocate that number among regions. And I agree with you, Sarah. I think that number is too small. And I'm not sure that it makes sense to allocate by region as much as just to have a total number and have some discretion in the administration about the area, depending on what happens. Because in the course of a year, who knows what's going to happen? And currently, we have a lot of workarounds for that. So if you're already in the United States and you're afraid to go back, you can you could be granted asylum or some kind of temporary status here. Um, I would be in favor of opening those numbers up more because when I think about sort of the ethic of care about the United States and what our principles are, and that I you know I still get kind of uh, bought into the shining city on a hill language about mm-hmm. the United States. Uh, I I think that we should be much more welcoming for people who are who are truly escaping a dangerous situation to come here and make a better life, especially when all of the numbers show that people in that category are less likely than native-born Americans to commit violent crime or be incarcerated. I mean, I really, I want to be like Canada. I want to be like, man, we can't get enough refugees. We can't get enough refugees to fill the number of refugees we take. I want to be like that. Well, here's another aspect of what the Canadians are doing that I think we should replicate. And I don't know if this just happens in Canada or if it's a matter of Canadian law. But I really like how, uh, specifically in welcoming Syrian refugees to Canada, individual families and communities have sponsored those families. And Mm -hmm. they're coming in. And that's how I think we 
shore up some of our concerns about safety and our culture. I think that integrating people into our communities is the answer to that question. And connecting them right out of the gate, almost like sort of big brothers, big sisters type programs, I I think that's the way to ensure that people are integrating with the United States and not that they're assimilating. I don't really like that word. I mean, I think that what's nice about America is that we can preserve unique aspects. Like you said, Paducah is different than Manhattan. And I think it should be that way, right? And I think within Paducah, you should have a house of Spanish speakers next to a house of English speakers. You know, we got a question. I got a question from one of our listeners about whether I'm a conservative who believes that that no one should speak anything but English in the United States. No, I think that's ridiculous and insulting to um, the beauty that is America, right? So also, let's just be honest, English language doesn't even make sense. There are way there are way better languages out there. Try to teach it to a five-year-old, you'll be like, dang, this language doesn't make any sense. I just don't know why we would want to know less about anything ever. So So if my neighbors speak Mandarin as they do, I want them to do that and teach my kids too. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I guess I I like that Canadian model, and I don't know how formal it is, of really bringing people together from the get-go. And I think that that would help a lot, of, a lot of the problems around this. So the most controversial aspect of this discussion, then, is what do we do about the southern border? And what do we do about undocumented immigrants? And I think both of us, Sarah, are in favor of a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. Um, so you said that you would like to talk about immigration... Because of the um, coverage of Donald Trump's immigration plan. I'm making quotes with my fingers, but you can't see that we're over. We're doing just audio. So what would you like to say about Donald Trump and immigration, Beth? Well, I don't think a wall makes a lot of sense. Um, (laughs) So generous. That's the most ridiculously generous feedback ever. But go ahead. I just don't. I mean, I understand that I don't live in a border state. And that there are concerns unique to border states that I can't relate to. And I struggle because I think in some senses, maybe those border states then need to be more in charge of this issue. But as I talk about in the primer, immigration is a federal issue. The courts have consistently found that, right, that states don't make immigration law Um, We have this tension now over sanctuary cities where local law enforcement officials have said, hey, immigration, not our deal. And then we make a national scandal of that. So I think there's a tension in how we handle this. I think that the idea that we're going to deport people who three fifths of whom have lived in this country for more than 10 years is and have children who were born here is not consistent with our values as a country. I think it's also not possible. I want to say that I never want to hear the word softening ever again. Like, I don't want to soften skin or butter or anything. Like, <laughs> Ooh, I want to so, soften butter. I'm, I'm, I disagree on that, but go I'm ahead. I'm so tired of the idea of softening. And I heard someone say that Donald Trump saying that he's going to soften off that position of deporting 12 million people is kind of like him admitting that he's not going to blow up Mars. He never was. <laughs> it was never going to happen. Um, and, and that's how I feel about this this idea that we're going to deport people and that there can only be a pathway to citizenship if people leave and then start the process over again. 
that doesn't make any sense to me. I really liked what the Gang of Eight did. You know, the idea that there there is a pathway to citizenship. I think people ought to start paying taxes into the system. I think people ought to go through some parts of our process that do make sense. But I just, I think we ought to have almost complete amnesty. I'm just not interested in punishing people for not enduring a bureaucratic process that is a nightmare that doesn't seem to serve a lot of purpose to me. And I'm not in favor of splitting up families. None of this feels American to me in any way. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, 
our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. So I'm obviously opposed to Donald Trump's immigration plan. I don't think it's a plan. I think it's um, dog whistling and just sort of classic Trump BS. Um, And I think that the media, like you said, I think, you know, with regards to sort of the way people talk about it is irresponsible. I really do. I think the way the media has covered it is sort of what we always talk about on pants and politics and a desire to seem quote unquote neutral. They have let white supremacists and other people come on the air and talk about these policies as if they are anything but um, racism and, you know, shameful stereotypes and they belittle all of us is how I feel about it. I will say, you know, with regards to um, Hillary Clinton's immigration policy, I'm pretty on board with it. I think she's, you know, she wants to defend Obama's executive actions that the Supreme Court deadlocked on, you know, comprehensive immigration reform, protecting families, all those things. So I am way more on board with that approach. Let's put it that way. Well, I will say I am not interested in defending President Obama's executive actions because I think that's legislating from the White House and I'm not in favor of that. I would like to understand what her comprehensive immigration reform looks like. I completely agree that that is what's called for. And that's what Donald Trump ought to be saying. Comprehensive immigration reform. The system is broken and we need to fix it. He could say that and be so persuasive. I'll tell you, if he had been genuinely the person who showed up for a few hours in Mexico earlier last week, this whole race, if that were really who he is, he'd be winning this election and it wouldn't even be close. Because there he acknowledged that undocumented workers present challenges for both the United States and Mexico, as do trade issues, as do drug issues. He was measured and calm and coherent for a very short window of time. And then he went to Phoenix and he was the crazy person who ran in our primaries again with the hat and all. You know, I I, I don't understand the disconnect between those two appearances. I think there are some issues here that need to be addressed, and comprehensive immigration reform is the way to address them. I would like some specifics from Hillary Clinton. Right now, I think she's getting away with, he's so awful, and I'm so loving, and love Trump's hate. And that's lovely, and it does, but that's not a policy. You know, so I, I would love to get into the details of this. I know she's a detailed person. I'm sure they're there. I would like to hear them. Yeah, I mean, they're on the, she's got a, a pretty you know, she talks about ending the bars that you were talking about that force families to either sort of pursue a green card or stay undocumented you know pursue a green card by leaving the country i should say or stay um undocumented and you know she i know you have a problem with the executive action section of it but <laughs> she i think is um in former in favor of daca and dapa all the acronyms but i think with regards to you know, our immigration law is so complex. I mean, I, I guess everybody, we probably need to talk about what people mean when they say comprehensive immigration reform, a path to citizenship, but I guess that would look very, very different. I don't think that Hillary Clinton is, you know, she's a pragmatist. I don't think she's looking to have the conversations that you or I are having about what are we trying to do and what does it mean as our values as a country. I mean, I think she believes that our values, um, like you said, love Trump's hate and she wants to be inclusive and she doesn't want to break up families and she thinks that... Um, and she spoke on this before, but 
Jeez, I don't know how. I think you could spend a, every debate we have until the election going through the details of probably just the Gang of Eight's proposal. Yeah, I mean, how punitive are we on that pathway to citizenship, right? How much do we think that you need to pay or make up, basically, for having not gone through our process? And and I do think fixing the process going forward is the higher priority issue. To me, if we didn't deal with the undocumented uh, immigrants in our country, but we fixed immigration moving forward, I'd feel like that's a win. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about the punitive nature, like any sort of punitive things to people coming out of the shadows and then pursuing citizenship? I don't think it should be so punitive that it discourages people from the process. You know, I I don't, I think that we ought to have an, an open window of time for people to come forward and say, no, I'm ready to get on this pathway, whatever it looks like. I think there should be some fees, but I think those fees should be staggered over time so that they're realistic. You know, I don't think that we should open the door, but only a crack so that a small percentage of people can walk through it and we haven't really fixed the problem. I think it should be a process that encourages people to fully and fairly participate in our democratic system. And that to me means that it's probably a pretty low bar, right? Because we know that most of these workers aren't doing jobs that are anywhere near sort of middle class wages. Um, So I think it needs to be realistic, but I think it needs to be meaningful. And like I said, to me, the promise of America is not that you're entitled to something. It's that you're entrusted with the American ideal. So I think it just needs to be a process that instills that sense of responsibility for our country in the people that we're inviting to take part in all of its privileges. And I know that's pretty vague, but as you said, the details are pretty complex here. And and I think it would deserve further study, but that's sort of philosophically where I am. So with the acknowledgement that it's complex and we could talk about it for days, I think we'll leave it there and move on to talking about the end of summer. Aw, summer. It was Aw, a good summer. summer. Get out! <laughs> see you're see how loving you're like oh summer i'm like get out you've outstayed your welcome i'm done with the heat that i'm having to walk 126 doors a day in and i'm tired beyond tired of the books i feel very sad because i for the first time in my adult life purchased white pants to wear and i'm and i'm really a stickler about wearing white after labor day i feel like i'm southern and it's important that i observe rules like that so it's i'm really important. sad just to put my white pants away I agree with the white pants. I mean, there is some, there's a small amount of wiggle room for winter white that I will give you from like December to February, but don't be rolling through my house with white pants on in like late October. I just, it's, we have to have rules. We have to, I mean, I guess unless you live in like Florida or California, I mean, I would, Hawaii, I'll give you some wiggle room because you don't get sweaters and I'm sorry for you, but otherwise, no, the rules are there for a reason. I'm on board with that, but I, and I like my white jeans. Also, my friend Laura had the brilliant idea of having a white denim jacket, which makes so much sense to me for like a little cover up with jeans because you're always wearing jeans, you know, and you can't wear a jean jacket with regular denim. But if you had a white jean jacket and like finally getting that and I, I get all that, but still not enough to make up for the mosquitoes, which are horrendous this summer where I live. 
The bugs have been bad this year, but I just feel like I always feel a little bit sad when summer's over, although I love the fall as well. So I have a very brief morning period before I get excited about fall. But it was just a really good summer. I mean, we did some amazing things this summer. I feel like in a very short period of time, my brain exploded with learning because we were in Chicago for podcast movement. We went to both conventions. I mean, it's been a lot to process. Well, and I think that... You know, I, I'm, that's probably what it is, is I'm just ready. There's so many things happen in fall. The beginning of the holiday season in Paducah, Kentucky is barbecue on the river. We say in Paducah, barbecue is a holiday. So that's sort of the kickoff of our holiday season. It's like, it's at, and if any of you live nearby, you should absolutely come to Paducah September 24th. Oh, I'm going to get that wrong. I better get that right. I think it's 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Um, that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you should totally come. It's amazing barbecue. It's one of the few barbecue festivals where you get to eat competitive, com- the comp- the competitive meat. Usually they just compete. Nobody gets to eat it, but you get to eat it in Paducah. So we do that. And then it is a dead sprint. Halloween, now election day, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then it's like at the end of summer, I blink and it's January. And I'm like, oh man, there's nothing to do. I wish it was summer. <laughs> I know, and I'm going to end summer officially tomorrow night by going to see Adele in Detroit, which I'm very excited about. This is That's my amazing. Christmas present from last year. We're all about delayed gratification in the Silvers household. Clearly. So that'll be a nice uh, way to kind of transition the seasons, I guess. But I do, I mean, I do love everything about fall. I love that Christmas in the air. I love all of the food that comes with fall. I love Halloween. My kids love Halloween. God, who doesn't love Halloween? People who don't love Halloween, I'm sorry. I don't have a lot of nuance for that either. It's like people who don't like Harry Potter. Why? Why do you hate good things? Other than the proximity to Christmas and realizing that, like, your to-do list has exploded. I'm, well, it- this is why, listen, we should we should dedicate a heels to this, but I am a early, my friend Jessica um, completely converted me to the early Christmas planning, shopping, doing situation, which I fought for years, but it has changed my life. I've already started on stuff. Yeah. That makes my anxiety start to kick in a little bit. So I'm anxious to see how bullet journaling helps me manage this whole situation. I am finding the bullet journaling to be pretty transformative and I'm hoping that it helps me get through the holiday season. So we hope that you guys all had a great end of summer Labor Day weekend. We will be back on Friday with an episode of The Briefcase. Until then, join us on Facebook or Twitter at Politic, or subscribe to our email newsletter at PantsuitPoliticsShow.com where we've been putting up unique content on our blog, so go check it out. Yes, and we hope that you will spend some time taking a look at all of that content on the blog and getting ready for some big announcements about things that we have going on later this month. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. 